Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Kurt. I am flying solo, so you'll have to help me. I uh, very much enjoy the conversation. One of the things that took me years and years to learn about Scripture is that what we're doing now is actually the way it's supposed to be done. To hear Scripture read aloud, and then to discuss it, to, to try to understand it. We don't realize how much the practice of reading has changed. There was a, uh, a bishop, uh, he became a saint later, Ambrose, but he had this amazing ability uh, that he could read silently. And today we think, what, what is that special ability? But if you, you think about the, the, the pedagogical way that they taught people to read, you know, they were like that, that kindergartner, then the man, you know, that's the way they used to read. So just long-winded way to say we, we're getting back to, I think, the way it's supposed to be. So God is not interested, I think, in filling our heads full of you should and you shouldn't. I mean, that comes, but he is interested in us seeing life, understanding a story, walking in someone else's footsteps, learning to put ourselves in those footsteps so that when we go through our life, we'll make decisions differently. But we get really to the heart of it today with David and his son. So let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get into it. Father God, we thank you for this day. We know there are many, many prayers lifted up today for the people who struggle today in Ukraine. Father God, we pray that you give them another night, another breath of, of life to continue to struggle. As we sit here in comfort and ease, have plenty to eat, we give you thanks that it's not us today. Father God, we don't know how to fix our broken world, but we know the one who does. So we pray today that we would learn from your word and that our world would learn from you. Help us. Help them. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, one of the things that changes when you hear a story read out loud, and in fact, there are very old um, parshas. Uh, this was an invention of Josiah, where the scriptures were to be read aloud over basically a seven-year period. Uh, the priests would read uh, sections. Uh, it's it's a little different from our chapter system, but you know realize uh, chapter and verse today is all an artificial thing that we put in place. Originally, it was uh, this parsha. Well, I should say originally there was nothing, and then there was this parsha uh, system, which is uh, little breakdowns of stories, and so they would read one parsha a day. And when you do that, you, you're, you're walking, you're, you're coming to hear the story. Repetition is a huge tool uh, when they're reading out loud and you, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, I heard this a second time. Oh, I've, this is the third time. So it, it's almost like a joke, right? Um, when we, we tell it, there's sort of a rhythm to it. You know, three people walk into a bar and you know it's, it's going to be the last one. That's the funny one, right? They are doing much the same thing um, to, to help tell the story, to help make it memorable. 
So we're getting the third time David has gotten the news of a death and news of a death that he didn't intend or want or want to be blamed for. And it's sort of important uh, that you know we sort of hear the story again. Uh, when the uh, mercenary reported to him about the death of Saul, and remember, the mercenary probably lied a little bit and said, oh yeah, I'm the one that actually killed him off. I'm, I'm dispatched him. Where the text really seems to think that he committed suicide or had his armor bearer do it. So what was David's response? Kill him. All right. So it has a, a second time. One of the generals has been killed. And the messenger comes and David does what? Kills him. All right, so now we get to the third one, where your son has been killed. So you see what I mean? It's kind of the punchline here. So that's that's where we're going to pick up. Um, actually, we're in chapter 18, so I'm, I'm a, little, a little further back. Verse 24, David is in the city. Again, not the place he's supposed to be. This is a... <clears throat> A war where your son's life is at risk. The nation uh, itself is, is tearing itself apart. And do you remember the casualty figure of the battle in the forest? It was, it was pretty staggering. 20,000. I mean, we think about what Ukraine has gone through, and you know we're still in the thousands, the low thousands, not 20,000. And all this was up close and personal. Although remember, they're telling us a lot are dying in the forest. The forest is killing them. So there's a lot of wounded that they can't get out that are dying. So it's, it's a mess. So verse 24. While David was sitting at the city gate, the watchman climbed the roof of the gate by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running towards them. He shouted the news to David. And the king replied, if he is alone, he has news. As the messengers came closer, the watchman saw another man running towards him. He shouted, here comes another one. So we've got two, right? One was uh, the son of one of the priests that had helped David. Uh, they were the fifth column, the spies for David. And he's young, he's naive. Oh, David will be so happy to hear that the rebel has been killed. And what did Joab say? to uh, this young priest? <laughs> yeah, uh, you better don't. Uh, this, is, this is not something David's going to be uh, rewarding anybody for. Trust me on this one, son. Just, uh, just phone it in. So uh, this, this mercenary army that David has has a lot of interesting characters. And I think this guy is one of them. There's a second messenger who is a Cushite. And so this would be a black African uh, from south of Egypt. They are renowned soldiers. Like we said last time, the Egyptians have used them for millennia as sort of special forces, sometimes police, but more than not, archers, uh, saboteurs, that kind of stuff. So he says, hey, Cushite, come here, uh, and uh, sends him off. <clears throat> 
and so it was a race, and the race is coming down to it, right? Uh, both are, are getting close to being the first man to tell David. So David says, he must also have news. The first man runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, the watchman said. So pretty good watchman, and that he can pick out the priest's son. Knows how he runs, which... You know, that's a little disturbing. It's like, remember that guy in uh, middle school that, you know, ran like this or something? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you? Just put your arms out. But uh, poor guy. He, he's a priest. He, he doesn't have a lot of sense, and apparently he runs like a girl. So I don't know. Um, he's a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. So as much as we worry about David's decisions in this, he's emotional. He knows this is, this is bad. And he, he wants it desperately to be, to be different. So the question is, what would good news be? Yeah. And again, if David was that interested in this good news, that should have been very clear, even to a priest who's running back, eager to please David, thinking that David will be happy if his enemy is defeated. Boy, I should have made sure those soldiers understood what I wanted and probably would have tried to be there to make sure they did what I wanted. 28, then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, all is well. He bowed low with his face to the ground and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against you. David doesn't care. What about young Absalom? It's interesting that they add this adjective. Does that show up in your translation? Young Absalom? Yeah. He's not young. Uh, he's, he's, he's grown. He's a man. Um, but as a parent, sometimes you always see your kids as the young one, right? They're still, still that teenager getting in trouble. The king demanded, is he all right? Ahimaaz replied, when Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. Wait here, the king told him. So Ahimaaz stepped down. Then the man from Cush arrived and said, ah, I have good news for the Lord my king. Uh, today the Lord has rescued you from all those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom? The king demanded. Is he all right? And the Cushite replied, May all of your enemies, both now and the future, be as this young man is. Okay, he worked on that. He was running over thinking, how can I say this in a Shakespearean great way? Okay, you probably ought to know the mercenary boss that, that you work for. And this is where they really get our attention. So remember, this is the third part. We know the pattern. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up in his room over the gateway burst into tears. As he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son. Absalom, if only I could have died instead of you, 
O Absalom, my son, my son. So they're not just being poetic here. They're trying to get your attention with the word son. Why would that be important here? What's the deal about sons? They're heirs, yeah. But think about being an Israelite or being a Jew. What is a son? It's what? It's, it's totally. It's totally what makes you good. It makes you tov. It gives you that the future. It gives you an inheritance. But the Bible, this, we can say this at men's Bible study, is ultimately always about the son. How did we start this wild story? Abraham wanted a son. And there is this pattern, I think, that we taught to God that uh, the Hebrews have a, a saying, uh, my yahid, um, which is uh, what, what they're doing here and what God will do in the, in the New Testament. Sort of my only begotten son. You know, when your, your grandparents say, my boy, that's my boy. That, that's what they're getting to with yahid here, my son. I mean, it's this... This thing that I really wanted, this thing that I loved, this, this part of me that goes on, this part of me that's the best of me, um, just that pride of, that's my boy. Um, talk about my boy. He went to Fort Worth yesterday, bust his heart, won his first round, won his second round, went to finals. Was beating the other kid four-one, uh, and his calf went out again. He's had he's had this problem before. What do you say? I mean, we had to stay. We weren't there, but he calls and he's just upset. What do you say as a dad? I mean, he means everything to me. This stuff that's going on with tennis, I know is going to help him later in life because it's not just tennis matches where your calf goes out, right? It's, it's work, it's life, it's, it's relationships, it's all that. Ugh. And, you know, I had been thinking about this Bible study, so I'm trying to, okay, Kurt, you're a pastor, for God's sake, you know, say something good here for your son, and you got nothing, you know, nothing up there. And I just, I tried this. I was like, Jason, you, you are everything. I know this hurts now, but it, it isn't the end of the world. I mean, he still, he finished fifth, so he's still going to go on. Uh, he's, he's in district, but we, 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 we got to get, we got to get the kid in shape. There's something about boarding jeans that are just not good right now. We're, uh, we're, we're not in a good place. But, so all of this, comes out. All of this, this is my boy. This is our covenant. This is what God uses to change things, right? Because we go from Isaac the son to Moses the deliverer, who was a baby. We go to Hannah, who, what does she want? A son. Uh, so it, we shouldn't have been surprised, again, that Jesus was the son. It's, it's this theme that holds Scripture together. But David has lost his future. 
He's lost his goodness. He's lost his inheritance. I mean, it's, it's gone. And so they're probably trying to get you to tear jerk here. Um, finally, David has woken up. But if you had felt this way, and Hebrews are very, very succinct people. I like it. I love their language. They, they're not fancy. They're, they're literal. So if you believe something, you do it. If you believe it's, uh, you know, it, it's wrong to, uh, let's say, uh, beat your wife, um, then there is no circumstance ever that they said you would do that. If you do it, you didn't really believe it. We pick up this stuff from the Greeks where, well, I can have this intellectual notion, you know, this is true in and of itself. It may not apply to me. And a Hebrew would say, that's just bull crap. You believe it or you don't believe it. And so David would be under the spotlight here. If he was your Yahid, if he was your only begotten, then you would have talked to him. You would have fought for him. You would have done everything to save his life. So how, David, do you get to this point now and you're sorry and you're upset? Again, it's not just to assassinate David's character, but to really force us to stop and ask ourselves, man, do I do this? Do I let, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, my pet sin, my pet fault, Joab, run rampant in my life until it's claimed something too valuable to me. And then I'm sorry. Then I'm upset. Then I realize what I lost. It, it's too late. It is too late. farther grieving over the fact that father. I think he is. Yeah. And God, again, doesn't tell this story just to assassinate David's character. But if a man after God's own heart can do this, then we got to listen. We are still in the middle of our story. We can still change this. Absalom in our life does not have to die with us never talking to them. And it's not obviously sons, but it's... Our, our entire experience. It's our entire process of making choices. Do we make bad choices? And it's, it wasn't terrible when Joab was just killing the enemy commanders from Israel. It wasn't terrible when Joab was just resolving a family feud and, and uh, you know, shedding a little blood. Who cares? But you see, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And sin does that, right? It gets a hold of us, and it's helpful in the beginning. It relieves the stress. It helps us get through. It solves a problem. And then we have to go to it again. And the price is a little bigger, and a little bigger, and a little bigger. And then, pretty soon, it's taken your future. It's taken your son. It's taken that which you didn't ever thought you would give it. it it's this, this insidious. That's a lot if you really, you really stir it. 
This is the climax of the story, I think. This is the point that God never wants us as men to forget. We, despite all of our gifts and abilities, cannot let this stuff grow and not think it's going to claim us in the end. I think David is very right if he, when he said, I'd rather have died than you. And, you know, having lost a kid, yep, much, much rather. Can, can I completely prove to you I'm insane? When thinking about Ukraine and all of that and the war, um, and I, I tried to bring the picture this morning, but there was a, if you saw it on Fox, there was a father putting his son, who I think was about six, on a train. And the reporter managed to just get that moment where the six-year-old is leaning out to his dad. And his dad has to send the boy off to go to a refugee camp. And then the dad's got to pick up a gun and try to stop the Russians from blowing up the train. And it just... And, you know, it, it captures this sense of, sense of my only begotten son. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can uh, to try to save you. As gut-wrenching as that is, I think I'm ready to go to Ukraine. I don't know if they'll take a broken-down old Methodist pastor, um, but I'd so much rather do that than have my son go over there. I really would. Um, you know, I, I pray to God that they'll stop Putin this way, but God has given us kids, given us life, given us choices um, because it reflects his love. Uh, when God cries, my son, my son, it's uh, the complete opposite of what David has done. It's his son giving life, but we should never forget sort of the pain. So I think David has a moment. He's, he's broken open. And then 19, word soon reached Joab that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. So David was doing the right thing. Uh, he, again, he's done this before, but i, I got to believe it's different. As the troops heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy of the day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into the city as though they were ashamed and had been beaten in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on weeping. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, my son, my son, my son. So again, this repetition, they, they want you to hear it. So again, these are not just uh, soldiers. You know, these aren't like the Ukrainian dad who went off to fight for his son. These are mercenaries. These are hardcore men who just slaughtered, literally slaughtered people in the forest. Uh, if your paymaster is upset or thinks you did something wrong, it could cause problems, right? Is a mercenary really going to say, oh, David, I'm so sorry, or they're going to forget you, I'm out of here, or you know, somebody else will pay me to fight? Where did about half of his army come from in this? Remember uh, Ittai, the, the Gittite? How long had he been with David? 
for about 15 minutes. Remember, David is fleeing, and this happens to be this new troop of about 600 Philistines who don't have anybody to fight for anymore, and they show up and say, Hey, David, we'd like to be on your side. Uh, We believe in your cause, and you pay well. So they don't have a long history with David. Uh, They expect to be paid, uh, to be appreciated. You know, mercenaries are helpful, but are they the ultimate loyal uh, soldier? Are they going to stand with you? No. So Joab's got a problem here. Um, Well, Joab's got lots of problems. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, We saved your life today, and the lives of your sons and your daughters, and your wives and your concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed, as though we have done something wrong. You seem to love those who hate you, and hate those who love you. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, at least part of that's very true. You made it clear today that we mean nothing to you. If Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would have been pleased. Now go out there and congratulate the troops, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then you will be worse off than you have ever been. Wow. That is, I think, the worst talking down I think I've ever heard, um, maybe in Scripture. Maybe God gets after him a little bit more, but um, Joab let him have it. Now this is David. David didn't blink in the eye of Goliath. It's easy to forget, but uh, David's troops, uh, when they fought um, the, 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 the northern, uh, remember the, the, the Syrians uh, that came down, the Arameans, the, they were way, way outclassed. And David kicked their butt. They were uh, chariot warriors. David didn't stand a chance, and yet he beat them. And so what do you think David's going to do? All this has been set up, right? What's David going to do? He has killed messengers before. He has killed those that killed, claimed to kill uh, Saul. He has cried for us, my Yahid, my son, I have lost my future. And this mercenary, it's cousin, but talks to him like this. David has killed literally people for less. And what does he do? So the king went out and sat at the city gate. And the news spread through the city that he was there, and everyone went to him. David has been beat by his sin. The sin challenged him and beat him down, and he let it. He didn't say, Joab, you're done. You're absolutely done. I'm not going to let you live to kill anybody else. I'm not going to let you kill any more of my children. Hopefully, he was serious. Maybe he wasn't when he said, deal with my son gently. Um, He probably should have said, if any of you kill my son, I will kill you. But he doesn't do any of that. And here, again, 
what does he do about Joab? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Joab has no respect for him. And it's, it's I guess, kind of weird that I, I make Joab the personification of sin. But I think in this text, he really is. He's that pet sin that we keep in our lives that we think we can handle, we can control. As a, as a young uh, pastor, right out of seminary, I got a call from church members uh, that I needed to go to the hospital. Their brother was in the hospital. And uh, I, I don't know if I told you the story, but I'll do it quickly. Um, so I get to the hospital, and their brother was paralyzed from the neck down. I didn't completely understand what was going on, but I knew it was really, really bad. And so all he basically was to me was a head, and tears were just pouring out of his eyes. He had been a heroin addict, and he'd gotten botulism poisoning from a needle that he was using. And he was done. I mean, paralyzed from the neck down, just literally dying. And, you know, I'm a 24 nothing pastor, you know, been out of seminary for like five minutes. Uh, you know, rural Kentucky didn't prepare you for heroin, botulism poisoning. Okay. Um, so what do I do? I mean, I, I just pray for the guy. He's begging, begging God to live, begging. Like, okay, God, you know, please, please show up, do something here. Long story made short, he survives. It's, it's amazing. It was this kind of huge rallying point for our church. Um, he goes through all this physical therapy, gets, you know, chest movement back, arms back. Church uh, got him into rehab, uh, set him up in an apartment. I mean, it was just such a great story. About a year and a half later, he's dead of heroin again. It was wake up, Kurt, at that moment. We let this stuff get a hold of us. And in his genuine moment, he begged God to live. And God knew full well that extra year and a half would be really for naught. When this stuff gets a hold of us, these sins, we either have to stop it or it's going to have that conversation with us one day where you mean nothing. You are nothing. You've given me everything. So let, let me stop there. Questions? Let's learn from this. It's pretty impressive. Joe had to stand up in his way. Yeah. He's telling the truth. He is? Um, And isn't that just this unbelievable day when your when your sin is bigger than anything else you've done? I mean, it's claimed everything. Not that we all don't have sins, not that we all don't make mistakes, but we always have a choice. God always gives us a chance. You guys remember what does David do ultimately about Joab? Yeah, he leaves a little love note to Solomon. Kill him. He's too dangerous. Well, you big 
baby. I mean, talk about terrible, leaving it to your kids to clean up your mess. Um, so, anyway. Well, all right. Kurt, I'm going to meet your kids one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, our God, thank you for the honesty with us today. We are moved, shocked by Joab's honesty with David, but perhaps we should be moved by your honesty with us. You know us. You know what we're capable of. You know that our choices can make a life, destroy a life. Not just our own, but our kids, our family, our co-workers. And yet you still call us to this work of learning to make choices, learning to do what's right when it's hard, of not passing the buck, of not letting our sin grow so powerful we can't even face it. Father God, let this story always resound in our mind as we remember David. A man that you filled with so many gifts, abilities. A man whose heart flowed with psalms. And yet, the greatest psalm he wrote was the last of his son. Help us to learn from his mistake and let us remember your love. You too cried for your son. But he gave himself for us. He gave us a chance to not be like David. So help us to learn, to grow, and to beat the sin that's still in our life. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a good day, gentlemen. I do. Well, somebody did a good job. That's what Billy